one one thing was we were supposed to be skinny, so we really didn't eat. If we went out, we'd have like a bowl of soup and a glass of water <laughs> and, and save money like that. We used to have pasta. And because in New York, there's so many Italians, you could pick a different shape pasta for every Sunday night and you could go like months like that. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. Hello. I am so happy to welcome Janet Gerson to the My Fourth Act podcast. I think of Janet as a Renaissance woman. She's had a prolific career as a dancer, choreographer, performance maker. Janet holds a doctorate in education from Teachers College at Columbia University. She also was the core director of the Peace Education Center there for a while. She currently serves as the education director for the International Institute on Peace Education, and she's also becoming a prolific painter. I invited Janet because I love all of these transitions and evolutions in her personal story. So welcome, Janet Gerson. Thank you, Akim. So nice to be here and to talk to you. I'm delighted. This is going to feel a little bit like this is your life, Janet Gerson. So I hope you're ready for that. Especially when we're in our fourth act. I'm always curious about when you were a child or a teenager, what were the dreams you had for yourself, Janet? Like, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I totally loved dancing. I was completely impassioned and in love with dancing. When I was six years old, our, a woman in the neighborhood gave the little kids ballet lessons in her neighborhood. And of course, feeling very grand, I tripped and fell and got a big swollen lip and learned the word you bangy. And was that an indication you should become a professional dancer? Is that how you took that? Well, no, I thought I could transcend that. <laughs> I was very ashamed because everyone... Already when I was six, thought of me as the ballet, the future ballet yeah, dancer. Yeah. But my father went over to this neighbor and said, tell me when I was six, tell me, is there any money in dancing? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we could guess that my father and I were somewhat at cross purposes with this. But we lived near Ravinia, which is where the Chicago Symphony played in the summer. Some of the greatest moments were seeing the New York City Ballet that came there in the summer. Then I saw Merce Cunningham. And between those two, I was completely in love. But for me, the main thing that happened was that my mother decided to send me to this very special arts camp, Interlochen, National Music Camp in Michigan. And so as a little 11-year-old, <laughs> I didn't know that I would be for eight weeks having four four dance classes a day, plus a concert at night, plus
plus swimming lessons. And all the rest of the time was sleeping. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. And so I learned to work really hard and dance. And, you know, I learned so much about music. And I felt like I found my people. And what strikes me about your story, because I don't think it's true for everybody, you said you found your people and you decided to follow your people and pursue a career in dance. And you did that for over 20, almost 30 years. And I know as a former theater maker that a professional career in dance or theater can be all-consuming. It becomes our identity. It runs our lives. And because you do different things now, when you think back, what are some moments that stand out where you go, this is why I was doing it? Or some moments where maybe you went, this is why I need to get the heck out of this. I was somewhat bored growing up because I was, it was like a nice neighborhood and I wasn't challenged enough. So I really loved the hard work. And I'd say, you know, on any given day, at least 12 things were going wrong. When I had a dance company, you know, being a theater director, you never know what can go wrong. There's so many challenges. The people. One time I was performing with someone. We had the dress rehearsal. Some people in my family were coming. And then there was a big rainstorm and the ceiling of the church in Washington Square fell down and the woman could have been bankrupt, but fortunately the whole community came together and uh, we ended up performing at the Palm Room in some hotel or something. So I, I think one of the things I loved about it was working with people. You know, the dance only exists because of all the people who were there. So if somebody gets sick, the dance could fall apart. I remember this one time this dancer was lying on the floor. She was completely sick to her stomach. And yet she got up and she danced like crazy. And, and I thought, oh, yeah, we all bring our best selves to these moments of performance. We try to rise above whatever shenanigans are going on in our life or whatever's, you know, and we bring so much to it. We work so hard and we... And we love, we make something really transcendent. As I just listened to you, I was wondering, is this a perception of Janet looking back or did you have this consciousness while you were doing it at the time? So there were always so many challenges. I remember this moment at the Cunningham studio. I was the choreographer and the producer and I had a solo or two. I was backstage and I thought, oh my God, it's eight o'clock. And the people running the house are all working for this moment. The people in the audience are all bringing their best selves here and they all get quiet at the same time. There's composers and musicians and tech people and, you know, people who think in all different ways and they're the dancers and my family, and there's me, and I'm I'm just back here warming up. And I set all this in motion. And now everyone is going to pull forward and make this evening splendid. You're describing a little bit of what I call the magic of performance making, the this consciousness of life being at this 
highly collaborative enterprise, right? And yes. and when you when you make performance like you do in dance, you become very acutely aware of it. I've also heard as I'm listening to you, that's sort of this sexy and sweet part. Right, right, but right. there's all the other stuff around the funding, the money, the business part of dance. How did you bring reconcile both of those sides? First of all, I basically gave up money. I taught, you know, I decided early on to teach, to make money. And um, that was, I think uh, when I look back, I see that everyone in my high school is basically tracked and sort of this low professional level to be, <laughs> teachers, you know, and so I was going to teach. And so I did that. And I ran all around, you know, I commuted to the Hartford Ballet and taught a full time job in two or two and a half days. I choreographed, taught, taught choreography. I worked so hard. <laughs> that was crazy. One time my back went out and I still went to go teach. And then I was you know, I couldn't lift my arms. I was teaching, but I couldn't lift my arms. And so I was moving my wrists to do the port de bras. And at the end, I couldn't put my shoes on. And my students came over to me. They put on my shoes and they said, Janet, you have to stop. Oh, you have to go to the doctor. Go home. Go to the doctor. Okay, so with money, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I lived. One one thing was we were supposed to be skinny, so we really didn't eat. If we went out, we'd have like a bowl of soup and a glass of water and, and save money like that. Or I remember thinking we used to have pasta. And because in New York, there's so many Italians, you could pick a different shape pasta for every Sunday night. And you could go like months like that. I know that. Folks like you and, and and me, I was in the performing arts as a professional for a while. It's a very seductive life, and it tends to take over everything. And we're in this creative bubble and cocoon with similar-minded people. Yes. And then you decided to move into what's getting a doctorate in yes. education you work in peace education now. To me, that sounds like an incredible shift, and perhaps it wasn't a shift. But in the spirit of this conversation of fourth acts and new acts and moving from one world into a completely other, how did that emerge for you? My husband was sick. Something was wrong with him. He had this back pain, and it went on for three years. And finally, we I was sitting in the hospital with him, getting this for the first time, a contrast eye MRI. I was sitting there and I was watching all these medical students and they look so fresh <laughs> and they look so alive and like they were so eager and learning things. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll become a midwife. And my husband looked at me and said, yes, that's a really good idea. Like, what? Are you crazy? I can't do that. I have to come home at night. You know, I can't do that. What are you thinking? He said, No, dear, you're having a midwife crisis. How, uh, how old were you at the time? About yeah. 45 or something. Where does that fire still live in you? Well, 
Well, let me say that the creativity that in the process of making things, these concerts, we had terrible fights. I just thought it was kind of a waste because it took away from the beauty of making these dances and everything. I'm not answering your question yet, but I'm it's say, okay. So I, I I, I'm making a leap from terrible fights to peacemaking. So this is where my mind is going. Exactly. We lost the funding. That was the thought I was trying not to follow. So my friend said, Janet, you need to get out of here. It's just a terrible time. Your husband is sick. Go to China. Did you expect that? <laughs> Go to China. I was like, China? Yeah, you can get money for being a community activist. No, I'm not an activist. I'm a dancer. So I said, okay, I'll go to China. What is this thing in China? <laughs> it was the UN NGO Fourth Women's Forum in Beijing and Wairo. And I got a scholarship. I got money, funding to go. I was there for three weeks. And there were 30,000 women. Wow. There were 50 buildings. There were 30 tents. And they were from all over the world. And they were all talking about peace. And I went, oh, I always love peace. But I just thought it was my inner world, <laughs> not anything real. But look, these buildings are real. These people are real. And, and oh, my God, the stories. Oh, you would have loved it. You, you'd say, okay, this morning I'm going here, here, and here. But you never get there because you met the most interesting people on the way and you ended up sharing stories about oppressions and you know and then also I'm Jewish I had at that time very long hair people said don't tell anyone you're Jewish so I was like so the all these Arab women were coming up to me and going see see look at she's not wearing a veil <laughs> you know, so I was like, yeah, right. We're basically sisters. What I'm hearing is you kind of sort of stumbled into peace work, but you realized it had been in you all along. Is that a good way to characterize it? Yes, absolutely. And I was taking my daughter to college and I said, I'll quit dancing if I can get a PhD from Harvard, which seemed totally absurd, <laughs> completely absurd. But that dream, you know, that, Here's a word from our sponsor. That's me. I invite you to check out myfourthact.com. There's a whole other world of fourth act conversations going on beyond this podcast. Myfourthact.com. Please take a look. I love that statement. Like I'm going to get a PhD from Harvard. And I always think, because we all have those moments. And the hard thing to know is that, is that, is that actually my dream? Is that mommy and daddy's dream for me, which they always wanted? How do we trust that dream? Or how did, did you trust that voice? You know what it was? I was taking my daughter around and my mm -hmm. daughter was the first woman in four generations to be raised with her talents, her real talents developed so that she could be whatever 
she could best be. So, gee, I could do that for myself, too. So yeah. it was more like if I can send her to college, I can send me to college, too. So it was often like that. I would do things for other people first and then see that I could do it. I couldn't go to Harvard. I live at home. I have family. So I said, well, what's next? Well, Columbia is pretty close. I'll try that. Well, maybe I'll become a physical therapist. No, too much science. And then somebody said, Janet, you're so good at facilitation and conflict resolution. They have a program at Teachers College. So I went there and then people recognized me. They said, you should meet this woman, Betty Reardon. You'll love her and she'll love you. And it was like that. We loved each other. And because I was so accomplished already, yes, people wanted me to work with them. And so Betty snapped me up and I snapped her up. She made me the acting director of the Peace Education Center. And we continue, we continue to work together. Describe to our listeners, if you will, the work you're currently doing in peace education. But what, 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 what I'm also really interested in is there's a work we do, but why do you do it? And what kind of satisfaction does Janet get out of doing the work? Because I have a hunch that like the dance work, there is the inner satisfaction surrounded by some struggles and challenges. And we're always reconciling those two. So what do you do now? And what, what, what is it inside of you that drives you, that, that, satisfy that satisfies that in you? I tell people, look it, peace is like chore- being in a dance together. It's like choreography. In dancing, you see everyone. Everyone is important. And everyone brings their best self together. And that's what peace requires. And we are right here in this room together to practice that. And each one of you is important. And I see you all. And I want to bring your talents forward and my talents. And I know, you know, some people, we talk about cooperation, but I talk about collaboration and not in a bad sense, like in the form of wars or, but the idea that when we work together, we make something that neither of us could, or none of us could have made by ourselves. Is that the satisfaction that you can help people collaborate or normally might not? Well, that's one level. That's one level. That's something that I do that is particularly special. That's per- they say, oh, Janet's going to weave her magic now. So, for example, we have an International Institute on Peace Education. It has a secretariat, and we make a collaboration with another sponsorship. So the last time it was in Cyprus, in the divided city of Nicosia. And next time it will be in Mexico, if we, Mexico City, if we ever get over COVID. We collaborate. So we develop a theme together of the problematic. What are the themes uh, that, like in in Cyprus, it's easy to describe the divided city, the divided right. island between Turkish and Greek. That was the topic. So the 60 people who come, everyone does something, a workshop or a, a, a panel describing their work. 
you know, that tells about what they do from different places in the world. And I weave that together. I totally understand what you're doing, but I'm curious. So why is that satisfying to you? Oh my God, I love making things, but I love making things with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's okay to make a cake or a paint. I like making paintings too, but I think like weaving something rich with other people. Oh, I just love it. And it's, but it's rare, right? Like when you get a theater company together, it's a special dynamic, you know, but it fall, it's always falling apart. Here's what I, I love as I'm listening to you. I hear the joy of making things together with people, yes. which began in dance. It's in the peace context now. It's Janet weaving her magic with a, in a different space. And I happen to know that just recently, I believe you become pretty serious about painting. You have very generously shared some of your paintings and social media and and your work is glorious. You're a very good painter. Well, thank you. What I'm thinking, painting, that's a solitary activity. That's not about weaving people together. It's, right. it's a different expression of you. Am I reading that correctly? You're getting at something that we didn't talk about all this time. When I was a kid, my neighbor... She said, oh, I can still see you. You were such a dreamy kid sitting on the door stoop, you know, looking out at the clouds. And I said, oh, yeah, I was so dreamy. Now I've turned it into a profession (laughs) at choreography and making dances and making paintings and making peace. They all have that, you know, that dream, that vision in them, right? But what I didn't talk about before was my need for solitude also. Mm -hmm. So when I went back to school, I also, much to my surprise, since I have a BFA in dance, I, (laughs) that's why it was such a joke. Oh, I'll go to Harvard. Right. (laughs) Uh, So I went back to graduate school and I did really well. And I ended up deciding to get a doctorate and it was a very hard, grueling process with so much solitude, so much. I'm so grateful to have developed this intellectual part of myself because I'm a girl, because I was a girl, maybe still sort of am inside. I wasn't really allowed to be smart and I wasn't recognized as smart. My father was the smart one. The men were the smart ones. Internally, like if you think, what is it like to imagine a dance? And imagine performance and how much a choreographer does before even getting in the place with other people. You spend a lot of time in solitude and you really develop a lot of mental capacities, which I didn't realize. But then when I was doing my doctorate, I would there would be times where you just hit the wall and you can't go any farther. But you're very wound up. You've had your coffee and chocolate and you can't just, you know, so I would paint. And painting's been something. So I want to say that the seeds of all the things I've done, you could look back into my childhood. And, you know, we always drew and painted. My mother was very artistic, but also had to be a wife, not 
And when my father died, both my sister and I started painting. That was 2009. But we both started painting seriously. My sister's a therapist. Like think of a Degas painting or think of being on the side of the stage. There are costumes and colors and sparkles and the the light is sparkling on your eyelashes and your cheeks. Oh, can't we put that in a painting? I want to express that beauty that I perceive and feel. And I have this painting teacher now, David Smith, and he, I think he must have been athletic because it's the first time I've gotten the sense that somebody painting can use the training, like training in dance, repetition, training, or training as an athlete. You're making me think of so many things for Hakeem, but also I'm also thinking about our listeners who are contemplating their fourth acts. I was struck by the phrase, well, we weren't allowed to do that. I'm hearing that part of your journey into your later acts has been to allow yourself to do and be and express what's inside in a different way, perhaps. It was there all along, but you're the allower who is allowing it. Am I hearing that correctly? Yes. Well, you see, I was lucky because I discovered dancing because my father thought it was nothing. So he couldn't keep me from doing it because I wasn't doing anything. I was just becoming graceful and I could be a nice wife. He didn't notice that I was serious, that I was had all this drive. So to discover later that I could be a public intellectual, that I could articulate things. I have a scholarly book coming out. The Well, if you want to laugh, I can tell you. What's the name of your book? Reclamative Post-Conflict Justice, Democratizing Justice in the World Tribunal on Iraq. That was so intellectual. You need to say it one more time a little more slowly. Say it one more time, please, Janet. Okay, and tell me whether or not you want me to explain it. Reclamative, post-conflict, justice, colon, (laughs) democratizing justice in the world tribunal on Iraq. Wow. (laughs) Well, it's, it's a very big theme applied to a very specific context. That's what I hear, yes, which is yes. beautiful. I want to do make a little, little leap for a moment, Janet. And you're 72 years old right now. You're in a period of, I'd say, fully allowing yourself to go with where you are going with the things that were always there. This is Akeem's interpretation. I hope I'm not bastardizing it. So from that lens, if you had a chance to, to whisper into young Janet's ear and give her some words of wisdom and advice, what would you say to her? I'd say, look for really good people. Give yourself over to people who see something in you and care mm-hmm. about that and who have something to offer and teach. So I I had good teachers and I also had good friends. Yeah. Find people to play with. And things I might say to other people that are, no one had to say to me, I somehow have it. Be curious. 
be open because there are a lot of serendipitous things that could happen. So allow for adventures. Like with China, I was so terrified. I mean, I went from a sort of local person to an international person. And I was so scared. I, I had a friend who was a Holocaust survivor and he was my mm-hmm. one of my mentors. He had been in the U.S. Army, though. So he gave me his dog tags to take. He said, I lived through the war with these. So you'll live through China. <laughs> and, um, so these little, uh, you know, little tokens or something. Yeah. And help you feel like you have good luck. I love the words, a little pokings or uh, having the right people around us. And some of us have those people, but don't listen to them, right? (laughs) We've all met people and we go, gosh, they were pretty smart. I just wasn't ready to hear it, right? And some of it is about the, the, I would say, trusting what we hear, trusting what not to listen to, but also being curious enough to follow through, which what you just talked about. You need people you can fight it out with. Nice. Not just the people who are nice, but so, okay. So I was in, uh, of all places, Tirana, Albania, because Mm -hmm. uh, we were supposed to be in Barcelona for this big peace education meeting, the global campaign for peace education. Uh, But Frederico Mayor lost the election. (laughs) And so his party lost the election. So we ended up in Albania and this guy was there. His name was Frank and he knew my daughter in the airport. I was saying, oh, my God, I have to write my dissertation. Oh, I can't do it. He said, oh, I'm a writer. I'll help you. So he's the most stupid, brilliant person I've ever met who I'm utterly grateful for. You know, we still meet every week to argue (laughs) about politics and writing. And he really taught me to write. And he got a kick out of my crazy ideas. And and I could, Frank, you're not understanding. You don't get it. It's this, this, this. And Janet, calm down. (laughs) You know, and then he helped me develop my ideas and move past my limitations. As you were telling me all this, Janet, and I'm the question that was forming in my mind, not for you, but for our listeners, which is, well, how do we create a life where we suddenly end up in Albania, even though that's not where we wanted to go. (laughs) And then find a way of enjoying being Albania for a moment. And we, and if Albania is a metaphor for all those different places that we would never go to and maybe never wanted to go to, but serendipity took us there anyway. Right. And then, and then we dance with that moment. I'd love to end with this. This is a question I ask everybody as a woman, vibrant woman in her early seventies, who is allowing herself to do more and more stuff. As you look at the future, both for you personally, professionally, but also the world, what do you think of when you think of the future? Say something more about that. I have something I want to tell you. It's like very Buddhist in a way. That 
you always are wherever you are. Mm -hmm. You're always you wherever you are. The best, the worst, the darkest, the lightest, the spaciest, the most penetrating. As Thich Nahan says, peace in every step. And in that step is also breathing. So keep breathing, keep moving, and sometimes things together come together, and as Pema Shonrin says, and sometimes they just really fall apart, and you have a fallow period, and you have a rich period. But keep taking the steps, because, and keep your ears and your eyes and your senses open to find those things. I think the future of peace has to do with people coming together and valuing our humanity, our relationships, appreciating how much it takes to coordinate socially and how easy it is to destroy that. And now we have to work together to have valuing of each other's humanity prevail. That's a beautiful note to end on. I don't want to label what you just said, but my thought went this this could be Janet's personal mission statement, but it could be the mission statement for many of us. Now, for any of our listeners who want to find out more about what you do and where you work, what's the easiest way to check you out and go more, get more information about Janet Gerson? Well, I'm embarrassed to say you can go to Facebook because that sort of I couldn't bring myself to have a blog. That's one way. And I'm also education director of the International Institute on Peace Education. And you can contact me through that. Well, we, we will have on the website some, some notes on this podcast, and we will put this information on there. But yes. in the meantime, thank you for being such a generous guest and for connecting some of the dots from the different stages of your life for us and helping us see that even when it looks very different, there is a common thread that we follow. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much, Akeem. It was just delightful. Your questions were beautiful and incisive, and I appreciate them very much. Thank you. You're most welcome. Bye-bye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.